My name is Jonathan Carlson. For those of you who don't know me, I work as a Bible worker in Finland at the moment. And uh, it is a very, a very challenging work, uh, but very blessed work as well. So um, I'm going to share something that is uh, very close to my heart. And uh, I'll share some of my own testimony concerning the spirit of prophecy and Ellen White and and we'll try to, in this presentation, I'd like to go into a little more of depth of how to have a balanced view of Ellen White. Because uh, I believe, and we'll look at that later, that there are uh, extreme views on both sides. And um, we, we'll look at it, and I, I believe that we'll see from the scripture actually what, what a prophet is and how we should read uh, Ellen White. So I'd like to pray before we start and uh, let's get right into it. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for giving us this opportunity to study your word. We pray for your Holy Spirit's illumination so that we may understand the things that we are going to read. We pray for a blessed time together. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So I was raised in uh, an Adventist family, but during my teenage years I, I felt the Bible was extremely boring, ex nothing interesting at all. I drifted away from God and uh, I was brought back through some ways that I can't take time to explain right now. But during my, the preparations for my baptism, I had come across some of uh, the websites out there that attacked Ellen White. Have any of you ever been to such a website ever? Okay, some of you. Uh, there are at least lots of them out there and I came across this and, and it was because I was discussing at a, fo uh, at a forum and some person said, well Ellen White's a false prophet, look at this. Boom. And I was, I was stunned. When I was reading these things I was thinking, wow, why didn't anyone tell me about this? And wow, look at that. And that's a false prophecy. And, and wow, and, and I, I was looking into all this and I, and I started to have questions about it. And I told my pastor that I, I actually printed the, <laughs> the objections. And um, I came to my pastor and I put, him, put them on the table of the pastor and I told the pastor, I want an answer to every single one of these questions before I get baptized. <laughs> and... Uh, yeah, I guess the, you know, the pastor really got to work. <laughs> uh, it was actually the pastor's wife that helped me out. Uh, and uh, a week later, she had studied into all these subjects. And we went through these different points, point by point. And as I was reading them, and as, as I was reading the things in the context, I was very convinced that whatever motive was these people had they were not uh, that had written these web pages they were not pure they were not honest in their way of presenting the material in the way of presenting uh, Ellen White's writings uh, and so needless to say I got baptized and uh, I praise the Lord for that uh, during the years the writings of Ellen White have been an extreme extremely great inspiration to me in my ministry uh, if there's if, if I get discouraged that's where I go and I get I get encouraged again 
it's, it's meant so much to me in, in sermon preparations and, and, and all these things that I, I, I have a passion for this subject. But I also know that there are, as I said, extremes in this uh, regarding Ellen White. And uh, I, I think that we will look, we'll want to look at what Ellen White actually means by what she says and how we can have a clear view of what the Bible says about prophets. Now my clock is, is falling down, so I won't see what time it is. Someone could <laughs> uh, help me out with that. Otherwise, I'll keep you here forever, and you won't get any supper. <laughs> Thanks. So, you've, you've received this um, paper, hopefully. If you haven't, it's right over here. Uh, basically, this is what I'll talk about, but it, this is in more depth, so we won't go into all of it. And I'll just share some of my own experiences. But what I want us to look at in this presentation is first of all the question of what is a prophet and then afterwards we'll look at Ellen White and we'll see we'll look at the, the tests of a prophet in, in, in the Bible and see if it corresponds with what the Bible actually says. So I've done it so this way so we don't even have to have our Bibles here isn't that lazy? If you have your Bible you can turn it to it but if you look at that in the first verse or first uh, paragraph there, 1a, uh, or it says Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. Uh, let, me, let me just share, when we come to the question, what is a prophet? There are so many interesting ideas out there of what a prophet is. I was actually at a pastor's meeting not too long ago, and there was this prophet there that um, didn't belong to my church at all, but uh, this prophet came and um, uh, they, uh, the, the prophet went around uh, all of the pastors around there and they, they, she put her hands on, on each of us and she put oil on our heads and then she said some, some kind of, um, you know, I, I almost consider it Christian horoscope, you know, a little bit, uh, some, some, uh, something that was said, a bit general, some general information that, oh, you have some difficulty in your life that you need to let go of. And, uh, you know, and when she came to me, she said that I needed to stir up the gifts within me. That was the message from God. And thus says the Lord, stir up the gifts within me. And when she was saying the gifts, she was thinking of of speaking in tongues and and, and these kinds of things. Uh, so I was I was actually a bit skeptical to this prophet. But there are so many different variations of of people of what people say a prophet is. So I would like us to look at what the Bible actually has to say about it. In Hebrews 1, verses 1 and 2, it says, God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by his Son. So, according to this verse, God has spoken through who? Through Jesus and through the prophets. That's interesting. What is a prophet? The prophet is actually the spokesman of God. Sometimes we think that a prophet is a, is a fortune teller. You know, that's that's not the definition according to the Bible. In in Exodus four, and verse sixteen, God says that Aaron shall be your spokesman to the people, and he himself shall be as a mouth for you, and you shall be to him as God. And then in 
chapter 7, verse 1, he's, God says to Moses, So the Lord said to Moses, See, I have made you as God to Pharaoh, and Aaron, your brother, shall be your prophet. So if you compare those two verses, you see very clearly that a prophet is a spokesman from, from God. So it's actually God's primary, uh, primary way of communicating. Sometimes he actually speaks through a loud, an audible voice. Can you think of an example in the Bible when, uh, when God spoke through an audible voice? Uh-huh, yeah, that's right. To Jesus, this is my beloved son. Exactly, yeah. And um, at Mount Sinai, right? Mm -hmm. Sometimes he, he makes his will known through that way. And we wish, we sometimes say, oh, why can't God do that to me, right? Why doesn't he speak to me through uh, thunder and lightning? And then it would be so easy to know God's will. But God's primary method of communicating is through the prophets. And we might say, but doesn't God communicate through the Bible? And this is true. But who wrote the Bible? It's prophets. It's actually the, the scriptures of the prophets is what the, the Bible is called. So if, if it wasn't for the prophetic gift, we would not have a Bible today. So the prophetic gift is very, very important. And we might wonder, so how does one become a prophet? Do I go to, to prophet school 101 and then I graduate and then I become a prophet? You know, I once did one of these uh, tests. I don't know if you've done them. Uh, this In the church, you have a gift test. Okay, and... and I actually did that one, and I, I, I turned out to be a prophet. <laughs> uh, I don't really know, but uh, it, it made me lose a bit confidence in those <laughs> things. Uh, because uh, I don't believe that's how God in, in the Bible presents the prophetic gifts. If we look in 1 Corinthians 12, maybe someone else can read it, so I, I don't have to, you don't have to hear my voice all the time. Uh, 1 Corinthians 12, verse 8 through 11. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, to another the word of knowledge through the same Spirit, to another the faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the same Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the discerning of spirits, to another different kinds of tongues, and to another the interpretation of tongues. But one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually as he will. Mm, thank you. So, who is it that gives the gift? It's the Spirit. It is according to His own will. It is a gift that God, when He sees necessary, He, he gives it. Uh, the question can be asked, can all be prophets? Uh, in, uh, if we continue in that, in that chapter in 1 Corinthians, Paul actually answers this question. Uh, he writes that uh, in 1 Corinthians 12, verse 29, that are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, are all workers of miracles? And the obviously implied uh, answer in that is, is no. He, he's making a rhetorical question. Uh, basically, not all of us have the same gift. So, uh, the prophetic gift is something which God decides if he, if he will give you or not. So how can I tell if I am a prophet? Let's read the next passage here in uh, Numbers 12 and verse 6. Someone would like to read that one. 
Hear now my words. If there is a prophet among you, I, the Lord, might make myself known to him in a vision. I speak to him in a dream. All right. So, if if I'm a prophet, how do I know? The Lord will reveal it to me, okay, in a dream or in a vision. And uh, so I don't have to sit and wonder. It's not like a feeling in my chest that likes to come up, oh, I think I'm a prophet, or some realization when I sit and, and think. It's actually a supernatural event. God comes down in dreams and visions, and He tells you, you are a prophet. That's why I don't really believe that test that I did, because I didn't have that vision and, and a dream. Uh, so anyway, we, there's a couple of verses we could read here. In, uh, in connection with these visions, there are also supernatural experiences. In Numbers 24 and verse 16, we read of Balaam. You know, you remember the prophet Balaam? He was going to curse Israel. And uh, God said no, but he went anyway. And the donkey spoke to him and saved his life. And then he, he had to say only what the Lord <clears throat> put on his heart to say. And when Balaam had a vision, uh, if someone could read Numbers 24, verse 16, we'll see what happened. The utterance of him who hears the words of God and has the knowledge of the Most High who sees the vision of the Almighty. Yes, and uh, you can continue. Joel? Uh, no, wait, where was that? Oh, sorry. It was the, the, in, the one in D. It's the same verse I see I put twice. Oh, sorry. <laughs> um, it just says that, who falls down yeah. with their eyes wide open. Uh, that's just an interesting point. When, when Balaam had a vision, he, he fell down. Uh, it's interesting. Um, it doesn't say so much more except that. And he had his eyes open, wide open, when he was in vision just supernatural signs that took place. Of course, it doesn't say too much more. In Daniel, on the other hand, we get some information what happened to him. It says there from Daniel 10, When I saw this great vision, no strength remained in me, for my vigor was turned to frailty in me, and I retained no strength. Yet I heard the sound of his words, and while I heard the sound of his words, I was in a deep sleep on my face, with my face down to the ground. <clears throat> Suddenly, a hand touched me, which made me tremble on my knees and on the palms of my hands. For how can this servant of, of my Lord talk with you, my Lord? Okay, Daniel is speaking. As for me, no strength remains in me, nor is any breath left in me. Then again, the one having the likeness of a man touched me and strengthened me. So I don't know if you, if you catch this picture. Daniel falls down. He, he's, he's without any strength. Then this, uh, this man comes and he gives him strength. He raises him up. And uh, during the time, Daniel said, no breath is left in me. In other words, I don't breathe. He, he was, yeah, well, yeah, he was unconscious of things around him. He said it was in a deep sleep, basically, but... Uh, he wasn't, he wasn't breathing while he was in vision. If we look at Paul's example, it's a similar idea. He, he was blind after he'd seen the vision for three days. So these kinds of things 
are, are supernatural uh, signs that help a person understand that this vision is not just a nightmare. I ate too much, uh, too much spaghetti in the evening and then I had a nightmare and oh, I'm probably a prophet, you know? Because how, how do we know if it's a dream? We all dream. Uh, so we can't, we can't base it on that. Uh, there needs to be some kind of supernatural sign that tells us that this is actually not from myself. It is from maybe from God, or it could be from the devil, right? Basically, it could be. But it's not just from myself. So it's important to test the prophets. Anyway, uh, if we go to Revelation 19 and verse 10... Uh, let's skip that, by the way. Let, let's go into another question now. If we looked at the, what, the, what a prophet is, let's find out. Is it biblical to expect the gift of prophecy in our days? This is an important, important question because many people accuse Adventists, of course, of having the Bible and Ellen White. You know, we have more. We, we don't have the Bible only, but we have the Bible and Ellen White. And uh, is, it, is it good, is it biblical for us to believe in another prophet? Uh, to believe in a prophet in, in the latter days? Uh, it's, it's a very important question. Because I would like to claim <clears throat> that I don't believe in the Bible and Ellen White. I believe in the Bible and therefore I believe in Ellen White. I'd like to make that distinction. It is not just I don't believe in Ellen White as an extra thing, but if I am to accept the Bible and the Bible only, I will be forced to accept that there must also be the prophetic gift in the end of time. And that's what I want to attempt to show in this study by the Law and the Prophets. In the book of Amos in the Old Testament, yeah, someone can read that. Amos 3 and verse 7, that's number 4. Uh, of the heading number four. Amos three and verse seven. Surely the Lord does, the Lord God does nothing unless he reveals his secret to his servants, the, the prophets. Okay, so how much does God do without revealing it to the prophets? Nothing. Okay, well, well, <clears throat> maybe he does some small things here. I mean, he works all the time. But basically, when there is a big event happening, God is going to make it known. He's going to make it known through his servants, the prophets. And we see that throughout the Bible. We see before the inhabitants of the earth were, uh, uh, were destroyed by the flood, God sent the prophet. And who was the prophet? Noah. And it was also Enoch. You know, he even sent two of them. Uh, and um, before... Before Israel was going into captivity into Egypt, God foretold it to Abraham. He said, you'll be in captivity for 400 years. And uh, you can go through the same thing. When they were going to be delivered out of Egypt, God sent a prophet through the burning bush. Moses, right? We see it throughout history. When, when Israel goes into captivity in Babylon, God sent prophet after prophet after prophet, Jeremiah and, uh, and others. And then when they were going to be delivered, uh, God sent Haggai and Zechariah that strengthened them in, in building up Jerusalem after that time. 
So God sends a prophet throughout time. But God's people were not always happy about prophets. This is, there's nothing new under the sun. You know, when, uh, when a prophet comes, they often speak very pointed messages. And it can be quite uncomfortable. How many of you would like, really love to hear when you're wrong? Can I see your hand? Well, some person, honest person, wow, I admire that. I mean, I don't really feel good about if someone tells me you're wrong or you're doing something that's not right. My pride rises up in me and I'm like, no, what are you saying? I, I, was, I was honest in what I was doing. But honestly, it doesn't feel so good. So this is the, the problem maybe why so many of the prophets were persecuted in the Bible. It says here, at times in Israel's history, the gift of prophecy had temporarily been removed. During the time of the judges, morality was so perverse that it says in Judges that everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Okay, so morality was very low. They had abandoned the law of God. And what happened as a result in 1 Samuel 3.1? We read that the word of the Lord was rare in those days. There was no widespread revelation. I'm reading from letter D here. And this pattern is seen throughout Israel's history. You know, God is not going to uh, twist people's hands into making them accept what the prophet actually says. He's, he's, he's a gentleman. And he sends warnings, pointed warnings. But it is, he leaves it up to the person to receive it or not. And uh, that's a lesson for us also. We can present the truth, but we can never force someone to accept it. It is only up to each person to make that decision. And we can pray for them. We can pray for that the Holy Spirit will, will help them to make that decision. But anyway, in, in Israel's history, we see that after the captivity in Babylon, God's people actually started uh, abandoning the law. And uh, in Lamentations, Jeremiah says this, or someone can read Lamentations 2 and verse 9. Her gates have sunk into the ground. He has destroyed and broken her bars. Her king and her princes are among the nations. The law is no more. And her prophets find no vision from the Lord. Hmm. See that correlation between the law and the prophets? The law is no more. They, they abandoned the law, and as a result, the prophets, they received no vision. Of course, first God warns them. He warns them, stop breaking the law, stop breaking the law. But if they continue persecuting the prophet, eventually he'll say, well, if you don't want to listen when I speak, why should I continue speaking? And he takes away that gift temporarily. And we see this in, in Micah as well, Micah 3, verse 5 through 7, so if someone could read that. Thus says the Lord concerning the prophets, who make my people stray, who chant peace while they chew with their teeth, but who prepare war against him who puts nothing into their mouths. Therefore you shall have night without vision, and you shall have darkness without divination. The sun shall go down on the prophets, and the day shall be dark for them. 
so the seers shall be ashamed and the diviners abashed. Indeed, they shall all cover their lips, for there is no answer from God. Hmm. So you see the same thing? What, what do they do here? Well, they, they prepare war against those who don't obey them. In some versions it even says holy war. That's what they do. And as a result of abandoning the Lord, the prophets receive no vision. And Psalm 74 speaks on the same topic. We do not see our signs. There is no longer any prophet, nor is there, is there any among us who knows how long. So this might be quite discouraging. How, how can God people, God's people get the gift back? Well, God did not leave his people without a promise. A precious promise in Malachi chapter 4 says the following. Oh, someone, someone can read it. Malachi chapter 4, verse 4 through 6. Remember the law of Moses, my servant, which I commanded him in Horeb for all Israel, with the statutes and judgments. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord, and he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children, and the hearts of the children to their fathers, lest they come and strike the earth with a curse. Hmm. You see this promise here? God says, remember the law of Moses. That's the Ten Commandments, right? If people start remembering God's, God's law again, uh, which he commanded from, from Horeb to all Israel, then he says, behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. He promised, return to the law, and I will reestablish the prophetic gifts. Now, this was a pr precious promise, and it happened also. In the life of John the Baptist, if you remember, uh, John the Baptist was actually called, the, uh, he came in the spirit of Elijah. He, he was, Jesus even said in, in Matthew 11, that he, he was the Elijah who was to come. So, uh, as, uh, as God, as he was pointing people back to the law, he received, the, the gift was again established in Israel. And in the New Testament church, we find the prophetic gift was very, very prominent. The, after the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, they had prophets and they were lacking no gifts. And we see that throughout the, the Acts of the Apostles. We see many prophets arising and telling Paul, uh, warning him from doing things and, and so on. So this prophetic gift was very prominent in the New Testament church. However, there was going to be a falling away from the law of God was prophesied. And in Acts 20, if someone would like to read Acts 20, verse 29 and 30, that's letter H. Well, I know this, that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Also from among yourselves, men will rise up, speaking perverse things, and draw away the disciples after themselves. Interesting, huh? Paul is speaking to the Ephesian elders, and he says that after my departure, after he is, after the, the time of the apostles, there would be people coming from their own, um, from amongst themselves, from Christians, and they would draw away disciples. Paul speaks of the same thing in Thessalonians. Uh, this is sometimes called Antichrist, and how many of you have done a, a Bible study on, on the Antichrist ever? Okay, someone who has not done it? Okay, there is. 
uh, or yeah, well, we, we, we won't go into it so much, but uh, in Daniel chapter 7, um, we read of this Antichrist power, the falling away inside the Christian church. There would be a falling away, and this power would start persecuting God's people and would change God's law. This is the essence of it. And we read that in Daniel chapter 7, verse 25. It says, He shall speak pompous words against the Most High, shall persecute the saints of the Most High, and shall intend to change times and law. The saints shall be given into his hand for a time and times and half a time. So we even have, in Bible prophecy, we even have the prediction of how long this power would rule. And for those of you who have studied prophecy, you know that one day in, in prophet, prophetic time, what does that equal? One year, right. So we have this time period, time, times, and half a time, that's three and a half prophetic years, which equals 1,260 uh, prophetic days. Uh, if you have never heard this, this is not, this, I'm, I'm cutting corners here, so please ask me afterwards if you wonder that. Uh, but this time period we find in history stretching from 538 AD to 1798 uh, AD. And, and during this, this time period, Antichrist would rule. He has changed God's law. He has abandoned God's law, fallen away from God's law. And if we saw, if we looked at previously what God did when, when, when the people of God left the law, he actually temporarily removed the prophetic gift. And so we can expect that here as well. The same, the same idea. And it is actually a fact that during this time period we find very few. We, we, I, I don't know of any person hardly claiming to be a prophet during these times. But there might be some. So, but still, we don't see the prophetic gift very prominent during the Middle Ages and during this time. Yes? Yeah. Um, since uh, 1844 till 1888, this period of time, if we read the history of the Church, we will see very little about the grace written by Ellen White or James White or other pioneers, but a lot of emphasis on the law. Is it also not strange that uh, was so much emphasized on the law that the church became so cold? Mm. And then we need a big reformation in 1888 in Minneapolis. Mm. So it's also, uh, it has to be a balance sort of thing. Absolutely, absolutely. The thing is that, uh, you know, in our nature there is a tendency, and I'll talk about this in the last seminar, uh, there's a tendency in our nature to go to extremes always. And so, uh, so before people were, they had forgotten the law. They said, oh, grace, you can sin and you can break God's law, basically, and uh, just come to confession and, and, uh, or pay some money and then everything will work out. Uh, but in, uh, then when they rediscovered the law of God, of course, they, they want to emphasize it a lot because that's what all of the rest of the Christianity had forgotten. And, and then it's natural that some people might then have gone down to that extreme to emphasize it too much and forget about grace. So we need a balance in that. That's a good point. But we see this, this, um, this, pa this pattern. And if we go to Revelation chapter 20, and um, 
we find there this same time period in verse 16 and verse 14. It speaks of the woman fleeing from the dragon. And the woman, of those of us who have studied Bible prophecy, we, we understand that it represents the church, uh, the true church of God. And they hide from this persecution. They hide out in the wilderness for time, times, and half a time, or for 1,260 days, as it says in, in Revelation 12, 6. But after this time period, the woman would no longer hide. And in verse 17, we, we read the climax of this, this controversy. If someone could read that for us. Revelation 12, 17. And the dragon was enraged with the woman, and he went to make war with the rest of her offspring, who kept the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. Mm. Now who's the dragon? It's Satan. Is he happy about this people? He's not. He's enraged with them. But there is a group that keep the commandments of God at the end of time. And we might wonder, well then they have the prophetic gifts. Well, it says they would also have the testimony of Jesus. And what is the testimony of Jesus? Well, if you go to Revelation 19 verse 10, it explains what the testimony of Jesus actually is. Skip this part before, but it says, and I, and I fell down at his feet to worship him. But he said to me, see that you do not do that. I am your fellow servant and of your brethren who have the testimony of Jesus. Worship God for the testimony of Jesus is the what? Spirit of prophecy. The spirit of prophecy. And we might wonder, oh, but what is the spirit of prophecy? Okay. Uh, who has the spirit of prophecy according to this verse? If we just look at the exegesis of this verse, <laughs> what did you say? Well, yeah, in, in, in the other one. Yeah, um, that, that is true. But in, in this verse, in chapter 19, verse 10, I find he says that I am your fellow servant and of your brethren who have the testimony of Jesus. You see that? So it's actually John's brethren, John's fellow brothers. And um, if we go to, to uh, chapter 22, Revelation 22, and verse 8 and 9, we see almost the same thing. It says, Now I, John, was heard, and uh, I, I, John, saw and heard these things. And when I heard and saw, I fell down to worship before the feet of the angel who showed me these things. Then he said to me, See that you do not do that, for I am your fellow servant and of your brethren the prophets and, the, and of those who keep the words of this book. Worship God. So, who are, who are John's brethren? The prophets. It's the prophets. Uh, which text? Yeah. That was Revelation 22, verse 9. 8 and 9. So it is actually the prophets who have the testimony of Jesus. So when we read in Revelation 12, 17, that this church should keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus, we're reading that this church should keep the commandments of God and also as a response to, to the, pre, the, uh, the message in Malachi 4, God restored the prophetic gifts to this church. We should expect it. 
Now, is there such a church that have these two, that both keep the commandments of God, including the Sabbath, and have the prophetic gift? Well, I read from, from heading number five there. Is there, such, is there a church that rose after 1798, which keep the commandments of God and has a prophet? If so, this must be the church described in Revelation 20, uh, sorry, Revelation 12 and verse 17. There is, there is one and only one that fulfills both characteristics, and it is the Seventh-day Adventist Church. Now, this does not mean that Adventists are the only ones who will be saved, or that Adventists are somehow better than other people. It simply means that the Seventh-day Adventist Church is a prophetic movement, foretold in prophecy in these verses. And they have a special calling to guide people back to the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. Both of them we need to have, as, as my brother pointed out here. And does this church have a prophet? Well, we, the answer is yes, and it is Ellen White. So you see, when I present this, I, I say this, that I, I, don't, I believe that I believe the Bible and the Bible only. But if I believe in the Bible and the Bible only, I must also accept that there must be a prophet in the last days. But if we just look at Ellen White, who was Ellen White? Well, Ellen and James White, we won't go into so much. I, I trust that you have heard of Ellen White. And uh, that's why you came here. <laughs> uh, but she was, um, she wrote just some, some facts. During her lifetime, she received over 2,000 visions, prophetic visions and dreams. She wrote more than 40 large books, over 5,000 articles. She's considered the world's most translated, most translated female author throughout all times. And the book Steps to Christ has been translated into 140 languages. During Ellen White and James White's time, the church grew from 50 people to 140,000 members. Today, the Seventh Adventist Church has more than 18 million members and uh, is one of, considered one of the fastest growing churches in the world. Just like Daniel and Balaam and the other prophets, Ellen White also had supernatural signs connected to the visions that she had. And I'd like to read some of these from, uh, it says number six there. Uh, heading six and one says she's utterly unconscious. This is a, a testimony from her husband, James White. Says she's utterly unconscious of everything transpiring around her, and has been as has been proved by the most rigid tests, but views herself as removed from this world and in presence of heavenly beings. She does not breathe during the entire period of of her continuance in vision which has, at different times, ranged from 15 minutes to 3 hours. There is no breath, and has been repeated, as has been repeatedly proven by pressing upon the chest and by closing the mouth and nostrils. Immediately on entering vision, her muscles become rigid and joints fixed, so far as any external force can influence them. At the same time, her movement and gestures, which are frequent and free and graceful, cannot be hindered nor controlled by the strongest person. On coming out of vision, whether in the daytime or, or a well-lighted room at night, all is total darkness. Her power to distinguish even the most brilliant objects 
held within a few inches of her eyes, returns but gradually, sometimes not being fully established for three hours. This has continued for the past 20 years, yet her, sight, her, her eyesight is not the least impaired. Few persons have better than she now possesses. Ellen White's family also records, it's, uh, it says that early in 1845, while in vision at her parents' home in Portland, Maine, 17-year-old Ellen Harmon picked up their large family Bible and held it out held it on her outstretched left arm for 20 to 30 minutes. The story was documented by Jane Loughborough, who interviewed those witnesses, including Ellen White's father and mother and sister. The Bible, on, uh, which is on display in, on the White Estate, weighs 18 and a half pounds. That's 8 kilos. Okay, I have a family Bible that weighs about 5 kilos, and I try to hold it out, and on my left hand I can hold it maybe 20 seconds if I'm really... Um, if I'm really struggling. <laughs> she held for 30 minutes, and this is a very small little girl, 17-year-old. She was very, she had been very sick during her lifetime also. So this is clearly supernatural events taking place in connection with, with her visions. Now, this doesn't necessarily prove that it is from God, but it does prove that it's not just her own imagination. It's not just some kind of self-hypnosis that she goes into and, and she gets these ideas or dreams. It is actually either from God or it is from the other source. You know, sometimes people might take a, a middle path, but I don't see it as possible. If, we, if you can see that these, uh, these visions or these supernatural things, even by her enemies, <laughs> some people, and you can read that on your own, Number three there is the opponents of a person who, who did not believe Ellen White was a prophet, could examine Ellen White and saw that to, to his amazement, he was trying to move her hand when she was walking around. It was totally impossible. She held up the Bible and, and, and started reading without seeing it. Uh, she, she, and she read correctly what was, uh, what was written. She was totally unconscious of everything happening around her. So, we can't just discard this woman as just being some nice, inspirational author. There was some other source from where she got uh, her information. But we should be careful, because Jesus warned against false prophets, didn't he? He said many false prophets will come. And uh, I don't think we have time to go through this, but I would, I would just speed through the tests of a prophet here, because the Bible tells us to test the prophets. In 1 John chapter 4 and verse 1, someone can, can read that, that's heading number 7. By the way, today is two presentations in one, that's why it's a bit long. Tomorrow we'll look at, we'll have some more practical things to do. But I just wanted to lay the foundation here. Uh, if someone could read 1 John 4 and verse 1. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. Hmm. So we are encouraged to test the prophets. Don't believe it. Just because someone comes and says, I am a prophet, we shouldn't believe them, but we should test them. Test them with what? Well, there are certain tests that every prophet needs to meet in order in the Bible, that uh, in order to be, be a true prophet. And I've listed five of them. There might be more of them. 
But uh, we see at least that uh, these are true. The prophet must uplift Jesus as both God and man. Number two, the prophet must speak in accordance with the Bible. Number three, the fruit of his or her ministry must be good. The prophet invokes obedience to the Ten Commandments. And the prophet predicts the future correctly. Those are the, the biblical tests. And you have the text there that show where this test is found. But I just I would just like to, to look at these uh, and see and, and test. Look at test Ellen White with this. What did Ellen White say about Jesus? Of course, in first first John four it says by this you know the Spirit of God, every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that does not confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. So, a true prophet must confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. Now, that expression brings us back to John chapter 1 and verse 14, where uh, John says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and then the Word became flesh. What about... Ellen White, what did she say about Jesus? Well, I have put some quotes there for you that you may read. Uh, but very clearly she says that he was both 100% man and 100% God. He was equal with God, infinite and omnipotent. He is the eternal, self-existent Son. In Christ, in Christ is life, original, unborrowed, underived. He that hath the Son hath life. The divinity of Christ is the believer's assurance of eternal life. Now, we, we could look at so many other passages, but we would, won't have to do that. I believe with all my heart that Ellen White passes this test. She does uplift Christ as a man and as God. Uh, now, what about contradicting the Bible? The second test might be the most comprehensive one and the most important one. Let me tell you. I was I was studying with some Mormons in uh, Norrköping in Sweden where I was living, and uh, the first thing that these Mormons told me was about their prophet. They said, "Hi, we're from the Latter-day Saints, and and we have a prophet named Joseph Smith, and here is a, a letter, uh, a message from him. It is, uh, uh, you know, the Book of Mormon that they gave." Uh, that's not maybe the first thing I would present if I did an evangelistic meeting, uh, but. That's what they did, and uh, they're so sincere people. I, I, I admire their humbleness in many, many times. Uh, anyway, they, I decided to be to go along with this, and I was saying that, just, wow, okay, so you have a prophetic gift, and um, I believe in the prophetic gift too, at the end of times, and. Uh, yeah, I asked if they, if they heard, if they had heard of Ellen White, who lived about the same time as Joseph Smith, and they were like, "Oh, really? No, we haven't heard of it." Oh, yeah, this is, she received visions and all these things. Oh, really? They said, "That's amazing," and uh, so we we started to talk uh, about it. Uh, they picked up the Book of Mormon and they said, "Well, this is this is uh, the book from Joseph Smith." I happened to have a Desire of Ages in my backpack, and I said, "Oh, look at this! This is from my prophet." And so they were they were a bit uh, confused. They never experienced anything like this before. Uh, and um, 
and I continued to tell, they continued to talk about what Joseph Smith had said. Uh, they thanked me for the book that I gave them. They gave them uh, the Book of Mormon. I gave them the Desire of Ages. And uh, as we talked, we came across some differences that uh, Joseph Smith says this and Alan White says this. And then the question rose, arose, okay, so, so wait, but who should we trust then? Because they had told me that, of course, it's good that there are more than one prophet. Uh, and uh, we came to the Sabbath question. So I asked them how they could tell the difference between a true and a false prophet. And they told me that, well, actually, when, when we read Joseph Smith's book, it feels amazing. We have this exhilarating experience. We just feel the, the, the light is just so illuminating and so, uh, so such a wonderful peace that pervades our hearts when we read Joseph Smith. And I was saying, wow, that's amazing. That's exactly how I feel when I read Ellen White. So she must be a true prophet. And they were a bit startled by it. They were like, oh, uh, maybe, oh, really? <laughs> uh, but as, as our talk progressed, of course, I tried to get them to understand that we can't have such a subjective way of testing a prophet. We need to test it by previous prophets, previously received revelations. And um, well, let's look at Isaiah 8 and 20, see what the Bible says. Because, you know, if, if God's Spirit has spoken through the other prophets, he's not going to contradict himself later on, would he? If God said one thing to a prophet and then he says the complete opposite to another prophet, no, he's not going to do that. So whatever he says to another prophet must be in accordance with what the already established prophet has said, right? Let's read Isaiah 8.20. Someone would like to read that. To the law and to the testimony. If they do not speak according to this word, it is because there is no light in them. Now, to ensure whether Ellen White's writings agree with the Bible or not, what can we do? We need to read her writings. Isn't that true? We need to read them and test them. That's the only way. I mean, I can tell, I can tell you that, oh, Ellen White's writings agree with the Bible, and, and, and I, all of that I've read, uh, they agree with the Bible. And you can believe me, because you think I'm a nice guy. But the only way that you'll know for yourself that Ellen, that Ellen White passes this test you have to read her books for yourself and test it with the Bible. I remember a brother in my, uh, a brother in Christ in my local church uh, telling me, you have a lot of experience here, uh, grown Adventist. And he told me that all people he had met that had criticized spirit of prophecy uh, are people who never have read one entire book of them. So it's a very... That's an inter interesting point. Yeah. Interesting point, and I, I, I can believe it is true. Because many times, uh, I wouldn't say that it is always so, but I, I believe that many times when people get discouraged by Ellen White, for example, some people come and they, they bash you with Ellen White. I don't know if you've ever experienced such people, and you get discouraged and like, oh, we'll talk about that later on. But uh, the thing is, the problem is, most of the time, that the person that gets bashed by Ellen White has not really read what she writes. Because if they started reading the context, they would see it through a totally different perspective, maybe. Uh, that's my experience. I, I can't say it's, it's for everyone, but... Uh, on the other hand, we can't, we can't go through all of her, her writings to test her right here, but what we can see is what Ellen White said about the Bible. And I just want to read one quote from Great Controversy. Uh, 
Ellen White says about the Bible, In his word, God has committed to men the knowledge necessary for salvation. The Holy Scriptures are to be accepted as an authoritative, infallible revelation of his will. They are the standard of character, the revealer of doctrines, and the test of experience. So she at least claimed to believe that the Bible was the, the supreme authority. Uh, in early writings, she says that I recommend to you, dear reader, the word of God as the rule of your faith and practice. By that word, we are to be judged. God has, in that word, promised to give visions in the last days. Did we see that? We saw that. Not for a new rule of faith, but for the comfort of his people and to correct those who err from the Bible truth. This is the problem that the Mormon church uh, does. They say that they have a, a, another revelation that corrects the Bible. You know, there are many errors in the Bible. That's why we have uh, Joseph Smith's presentations that correct the Bible. Uh, this is not what we believe as Seventh-day Adventists. We do not believe that, that Ellen White has come to replace the Bible. No. Uh, what this was the primary goal? Was it not enough, sufficient, only to have the Bible? It's always the truth. What was the purpose? Why God wanted to give the prophet? Interesting point. You know, Ellen White actually answered that once. And she said that if people had been studying their Bibles, there wouldn't have been a need for uh, this prophetic gift. But... Of course, now we ha she, has, she has come, and she is, she's pointing us back to the Bible, back to the Bible. And this is, of course, the test of a prophet. We need to see if it squares with the Bible. Uh, but that doesn't mean that a prophet can't add something, um, some more details, you know, that uh, explains, for example, a story of, of Jesus. And that's, we might have some details, uh, the facial expression of Jesus, you know, in, in the gospel. It doesn't say always how his facial expressions were. But uh, in the Desire of Ages, you read maybe sometimes about that. So that's explaining more things. God can reveal more things to a prophet and also to guide the church uh, into unity, as it says in, in Ephesians. Anyway, we, we don't have time. I think we'll, we'll just finish right here and we'll continue later on. Tomorrow we'll look at, you'll get some practical experience <laughs> and uh, hopefully not so much theory. But and we'll, we'll first we'll finish this up and then we will look at uh, inspiration. We'll look at what is inspiration, how does inspiration work according to the Bible and uh, what does Ellen White say about it and uh, uh, this will this is uh, this will clear up a lot a lot of misunderstandings that are out there, and this is this was what helped me also have confidence in this gift in in our days. So, I pray that you will come back tomorrow. <laughs> um, has anyone received a blessing uh, by by what we've studied? I, I've been blessed. Is there someone? Praise the Lord. All right. So my challenge to you is to read her books. To, to, to do this test, you need to start reading. Get into it and see for yourself if it is so. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this gift that you've given to this church. I pray that we may understand it correctly so that we can get the most blessing and the most joy out of that gift because that is why you give us these gifts. It's not to discourage us, it's not to make us feel bad, but it is for our joy, for receiving you in a greater measure so that we can reach out 
with the message to this generation and so that you can come back and bring us to our real home. Lord, this is our prayer, and I pray that uh, you may lead us during these seminars and help us to take time to read your testimony because the testimony of a prophet is the testimony of Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.